Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have a little bit of a theme about our podcast. Uh, Our podcast today is about sales, essentially. Sales, often seen as a dirty word, generally comes with the view of the used car salesman stereotype, you know, the stereotype which depicts a middle-aged man trying to force sell you a car with the intention purely to receive a commission or a paycheck. This person actually doesn't really care what it is that you want comes across dishonest, self-absorbed, potentially sleazy, while withholding information just to get the sale over the line. So it's generally what people think of when they think of a salesperson, but I'm glad to say that today's podcast will hopefully put that stereotype to bed for you. So late last year, we uh, were very privileged to catch up and chat with a very good friend of mine, Connor O'Rourke, who is not the used car salesman that I describe above but is an absolute genuine human being whose sole purpose is to provide a product and services that adds value to the client. During the podcast, Connor states that sales isn't something that you do to someone, it's something that you do for someone. His whole emphasis is on customer service. I absolutely love it. In 2016, Connor joined forces with his brother Brendan and his father Mick, who we've had on the show previously. And Dave, Ben, and Craig to create what is now known as New Argo. New Argo is a South Australian IT business that is on track to becoming the leading technology solutions company in South Australia. And since commencing in 2016, Connor and the team at New- have seen New Argo recognized in both the CRN and BDO fastest growing companies list numerous times. Connor is currently the Director of Sales at New Argo and previously he was General Manager of Sales at Datacom Systems. He's got over 10 years of experience in the IT industry and considerable expertise in all elements of sales and customer service across different market segments in South Australia. The podcast today, we deep dive into the world of sales and business development. We discuss Connor's approach to sales and customer service to the types of characteristics and behaviors that he sees in some of the most successful salespeople, to what he looks for when he's hiring and growing a world-class sales team, down to how to have a great first meeting with a potential client. During our chat, you will really notice Connor's strong customer-centric leadership style as he demonstrates why empathetic listening and strategic questioning are critical to the successes of understanding the client's pain points. I recommend this podcast for all leaders who are looking to scale their businesses or even just grow a sales team internally or individuals who are looking to increase their sphere of influence, not only just in sales, but in all walks of life. I absolutely love this chat and I know you will love listening to Connor too. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. Excellent. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have the one and only Connor O'Rourke. Welcome to the show, Connor. Thanks for having me, Dan. Very excited. 
So Connor, Director of Sales at Nuago, uh, an illustrious career in, in, in business and in sales. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a background around who you are, oh, what makes you tick, who your family are, all the above? Right, right. No, no, you put my tires there. So thanks so much. I'll, I'll try to do it some justice. So no, I kind of explain myself as, you know, I'm a bit of a bit of a nerd at heart, probably a, a confused entrepreneur and an aspiring uh, single-digit handicap golfer. So, um, I guess from a from little a, little plug for your golfing prowess, oh, I got to work on that with the bloody knee at the moment. It's hard to get out on the yes. course, but uh, we'll have to go hit some sometime. So, what's a confused entrepreneur before you go in? I, aren't we all? Yeah. I, I think well, yeah, you know, entrepreneurialism is such a is a confusing time in life, really, much like parenthood. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of analogies. I think leadership is one as well. Leadership, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's. You know, I think I've heard on some of your previous casts, it's it's about, you know, that holistic living. There's not, you don't really change gears that often. There's not this clear delineation. I think especially post-pandemic when we're all working from home, it's, yeah. you know, it all really does blend together. I think a lot of the things we're working on. So those principles that we can holistically adapt to our lives are great. Absolutely. All right. So let's go into it. So who, right. who, give us a bit of background. How did you, uh, how did you get to where you are today? How did I get to where I am today? So I was... Um, kind of born into the IT game a little bit. Um, my old man worked in, in Silicon Valley and some customers and are in some companies there and some startups and turnarounds. So we so Mick O'Rourke, who is your old man, we've had him on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, followed in his footsteps to an extent with some some deviations along the way. Um, you know, sales is an interesting craft I didn't necessarily see myself in, but, but found myself in uh, longer term. And I think really sales for me has always been kind of analogous to being a business owner. You get the exposure of all the different facets of a business. Uh, and so really when I finished university, I, I was doing some hand selling of wine uh, over in the U.S. representing a, a Spanish and New Zealand portfolio. They're not nothing about wine. Uh, one of my roommates was doing a viticulture degree and he said, hey, I've got some uh, some work on the side if you want to make a bit of money. And being a, a uni student, of course, I was going to jump at that opportunity to make a bit of cash on the side. And that was just going selling wine to different uh, bottleos and different restaurants and those sort of things. So, Did you well, use the like, one for you, one for me approach? I, I, it might have been two for me, one for them. I don't, you know, being, again, uni student access to unlimited wine, right. was, you know, that was going to go one way. But no, it certainly gave me an, an appreciation for uh, the craft of selling and yeah. that it's not something that you can just really walk into like uh, anything it actually has to be treated as a profession uh, there is a formula to, to being successful in it so uh, that was really the first dabble into sales and then i came back actually for uh christmas break for holidays and dad picked me up at the airport and we were driving back to uh back to our house and he said hey do you want to stop in and, and meet with a few of the guys and he had he was working at datacom and started that that business at the point in time and there were about 30 or so staff quite, quite early in the pieces, 2010. And uh, I said, absolutely stop in for a coffee. Cause in this building we're in right now, you know, nine years old putting Ram in PCs and whatnot was my first real taste in it. So it had come full circle with a lot of the guys he had worked with at Centauri. Yeah. And so I wanted to see what their business was about. Cause I've been living in the States for five or so years and sat down for a coffee and was just really interested in what they were doing. And I didn't know it was anything uh, more than a coffee at the time, but turned into a job interview and they offered me a job as a, as an internal account manager there. So doing uh, internal sales work, kind of yeah. the frontline sales yeah, yeah. support. And I was still living in the States. I'd planned to go back in three weeks and kind of went home to think about it. And the next day I said, you know, the GFC had hit in America. I'd applied for a bunch of jobs. I didn't really have a 
for the next thing to look forward to on the horizon. And so what were you looking for in America when you, you apply for jobs? Were, were they in sales roles or were they in numerous just, different roles? Just, you know, I, I did a couple of days as a, as a door-to-door vacuum salesman um, because <laughs> there was really, it was a terrible time to be finishing university yeah. with a whole bunch of people trying to get resumes in the market and didn't really have a big network on which to, to be able to build those things. And so it became quite clear for me when I came back here is it's, it's important about your network and the equity you have in the market and those things as well. So gave me an opportunity to go, well, it's probably time to be an adult as well. Yeah. Know, stop snowboarding hockey. So how old know. were you at that point? Uh, when I moved back here? Yeah. Um, 22, turning 23. So you moved here with, when your old man bought the, the businesses and then you moved back? Yeah. So in 96, we moved here. I was nine years old when we mm-hmm. moved out here. And then I did my first year of university here and decided I was still living at home with mom and dad. And I, I really wanted to go out and kind of experience and understand who I was as a man and kind of get a, a, a different perspective. I loved my, my hockey and my snowboarding and whatnot. Yeah. There's not as much of that here in South Australia. Yeah. So, um, so ice hockey? Ice hockey, inline hockey, and field hockey. I actually oh, played well, all those. Well. The main one I played was more uh, roller hockey or inline hockey, they yeah. call it. Um, one rink in Adelaide for, for ice hockey. But mm. yeah, definitely played ice growing up as well. So um, it was a huge passion of mine. But uh, certainly something I don't really you, you have mentioned before, your body's feeling the, uh, <laughs> the effects of all that. Yeah, all it that certainly sport. is. Yeah. Yep. A couple of concussions and then certainly several trips to hospital to get the limbs repaired. <laughs> I know the feeling all too well. Absolutely. So you decided to come back. Uh, what, what other than the job, was there anything that drew you back to Adelaide? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Like my, my immediate family, family lived here and uh, it, I was raised here, right? So despite the dirty accent sounding like a yank, <laughs> uh, it, it feels like home to me here. You know, it, it's funny when, you know, I, I may have had a, a glass of wine or a beer and I'm around in Australia and I start to turn a little more Australian in my, my, my accent and whatnot. But, it's the adaptability of a salesman, I think. Oh, <laughs> I, I think just after you've traveled a lot, you know, it's one of the, my biggest passions is, is seeing the world. You, yeah. I think communication is the definition of the response that you get mm-hmm. from people. And uh, for whatever reason, I think we, if you listen to people from different cultures, you often hear them starting to gravitate a little bit more towards each other in the way they communicate. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a salesy thing because I think that's one of the misnomers with with selling as well is that um, people are, are not being authentic necessarily in the process. It's adaptability is, is I think, key to communicating with people. So as long as it's not being disingenuous, I'm cool with it. Yeah. So you've done pretty well, right? So you've, you've gone from Datacom and built and so you started as an account manager and then moved into sales lead there didn't you gm yeah so what did about six six and a half years i think i was at datacom um started as an internal account manager and then kind of went through the ranks there so i had four or five roles whilst i was there and that that ended in in the final role i had there was general manager of sales for the south australian business which was a great learning experience for me and really i guess helped me set the foundation for for starting this company and then you've uh left left the not not safe no no job safe these days but a safer consistent income to start up your own business yeah. in new argo yeah. with your brother and a few other the of the team mm-hmm. how did tell us your thought process of why <sighs> you decided to uh, to do that I think entrepreneurialism has always been in the family a little bit so I was you know I was raised around that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, for me, it was it was time for a new challenge. Uh, some of the people I had worked with had departed the organization in terms of um, the leadership team and whatnot. And um, I had always wanted to start a company. I had done quite a lot of time there, was approaching seven years in the business. And um, timing seemed right in the market. It's one of the most important things uh, for 
what we were thinking about to be the the really the offering we wanted to bring to the market. Mm-hmm. And and my brother also had come back from the military, and really this was the the key impetus to getting started. And he'd he'd worked on a business plan, and and we sat down at a little cafe in Allgate. He, my dad, and myself, back in I think it was March of 2016. And uh, he spoke about this business plan that he had together. And I said, well, I, I want in on this. I'd, I'd love to be a part of it. And um, he was fortunate enough to give me a shot and say, yeah, cool. Let's try something. You know, it's always an interesting one. Um, being silly enough to go start a business with your family um, in, in the first instance. And so we said, look, this isn't going to be a family business. Uh, despite there being three of our six shareholder members have the same last name. We we thought that the the assets that we brought to the company were the important thing. And we all look at the world from quite a different perspective. We're yeah. cut from the same cloth, but we all have different interests. Uh, and then the other three gentlemen that we've added to the, the board and the mix absolutely made it a stellar team. So uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. Well done. So you've taken the company from strength to strength. The common chat in the world is that sales is king. So uh, is there a little bit of a head wobble going on? Over oh, look. <laughs> You know, I'm. You look at the Clifton strengths, right? My my two things are strategic thinking and competitiveness. Yeah. Right. So I, I think you know that's probably one of the key reasons. I'm yeah. sales. sales is king. I, sales sales, and sales certainly is the first activity uh, inside of a business to to getting business. Right. Yeah. So perhaps that's why they've coined it that way. Yeah. Um. I I think that's a a little bit. You know, sales can be associated with arrogance and those sort of things as well. And so I, I probably wouldn't say sales is king. I'd say sales leads. Uh, sales is definitely an incredibly important activity that I think many businesses don't nurture appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you believe are sort of the three fundamentals of creating a successful business? Of creating a successful business? Well, not three. What do you think some of the most important areas are? But what, what, what's the reason behind your success and, and quick growth yeah i think it's it's it comes back to your value sets and the type of people you surround yourself with mm. you know you spend so much you spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your partner if you exclude the hours that you're sleeping yeah correct. so you may as well hang around people that you like that are like-minded and you can do fun enjoyable things that stretch you too mm. you know one of the first things we talk about here is a culture of performance people see the output of the values that you live by and that's what forms your culture right and often people will see, oh, there's a ping pong table or you guys look like you're having fun yeah. all the time. You earn that, right? Mm-hmm. By having a performance culture where you have a viable company that is great to come and work at where people feel safe to fail inside of. And I think that ultimately is the key fundamental. Uh, hire incredibly intelligent people that match your value set and, and ultimately try to stay out of their way as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Which the Steve Jobs quote, isn't it? Yeah. Hire, hire uh, great people and get them to tell you what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Do you can you explain a performance culture? What what does that mean for you? Like how do you how do you hold people to account in a performance culture? It's a challenge. That's that's for sure. But it's about having a synergistic. I'm gonna steal your word there. Yeah. Synergy. Well, we uh, stole it from Stephen Covey. It's it's <laughs> a wonderful one, right? And Covey's a, a fantastic thinker. But synergy is super important, and absolutely, it it does come at the core. My father uh, in my wedding recently spoke about synergy as one of the key things in life, and it absolutely is. It's how do we have a, an approach that's congruent from whatever level you are in the company? And we don't like we have a pretty flat structure with the way that we like to operate. You see, there's no. No walls in the building between yeah. the boss's office. There are no offices for any any members of staff. Yeah. There are no reserved car parks for anybody in the business. Yeah. First come, first serve. That's how it's always with us. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it can be, it, it is a constant 24 by seven activity to ensure that, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard that you accept. Yeah, I love that. Quote. And we drum those things in. And that's not just a statement. I've I heard you talk previously about the values that are plastered on a wall. The values are what you do every single day and how you live by, by things in your, in your personal life and your professional life. Um, so I think it's about setting that example. Um, you know, it's been an interesting year. A lot of people take hits, but how you walk through that door in the morning is probably the most important thing you need to focus on as a leader. Um, and listen to your people, listen to your customer. Uh, business isn't that complicated. I always like that quote. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Mm. Right. Where it's there's some fundamental things you can hear them over and over and over again. But to execute on them and to be consistent 24 seven, it's that's the hard thing to do. Yeah, I've found running my own business is grit, resilience. These are fundamentals in, in becoming successful. Uh, not even just success, but just even just getting through. I mean, you talk about a confused entrepreneur and I, and I mentioned leader and you mentioned family. I, th I think that is the ultimate, you know, that's, there is no golden egg there that, that people can chase. It's just the constant learning continuous, you know, you guys use Kaizen as your, yeah. as your value. It's the continuous improvement at figuring it out along the way. You've also mentioned we allow people to come in here and make mistakes. That's what you should do in your life, yes. right? It's about uh, moving forward uh, consistently, one step at a time. Small steps generally get you further in life than, you know, taking one big leap. Uh, so yeah, I really, I really understand where you're coming from and, and very empathetic with uh, with your approach. Leadership is a lonely place. There's six of you guys at the top there, um, you know, leading the business into in, through a pandemic. How have you guys gone through this? Look, I, I saw a quote the other day about you know this time of year. Often people are asking about what they what they can get and what they want, and it's such a time to be thankful. Uh, we live in a, a place, a country in the world that is so fortunate, you know. Uh, so for me, I, I feel incredibly humbled that we're able to sustain something like this, uh, to not lose a single member of our team. In fact, to grow through that time yeah, well when so many other, thank you, but when so many other people are struggling, um, it's not something we're wanting to go scream from the rooftops. It's, yeah. Look, it's lovely to get accolades and attaboys and pats on the back and those sort of things, but... Um, you know, it's, I just, I just feel thankful. You know, there's a lot of families that eat at the table here now and uh, being able to ensure that they had sustainability was our number one focus through that time to be relevant for our customers, to, to only be there to assist, not to really be looking to scale the business too hard. It was really just about helping the, the people to the right and left of you, I think for the last six to nine months now. Yeah. Really great approach. Thank you. So I really want to dive into the topic of sales and pick your brain, I, I believe, for leaders out there who are uh, not only in sort of the small to medium enterprise but also in in large corporate. I think this is an element that is always – is sales a dirty word? I mean, like if you were to say I'm an engineer or you were to say I'm a salesman or a BDM, I think people hold the engineers and, and the likes in much more prestigious – uh, in a much more prestigious light than what they would a salesman. Why is sales viewed upon as that used car salesman yeah, type? Yeah, it it certainly is a is a uh, a perception. I would say in some cases a misconception. Mm. Uh, 
but I think often it's that snake oil salesman. It's a used car salesman. People may have had a poor experience in their life and they then make that blink snap judgment that all people must be like this because I, I think also it can maybe have to do with the remuneration mm. is that people know that this person may be getting paid a commission or a cut of the deal. Uh, so does that then make their motives ulterior? Mm. Uh, I'm, yeah. I don't believe that it should. But no. Does it happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I'm passionate about sales being a profession. Yeah. About it actually being a craft that we care about. Yeah. And one of my favorite sayings about sales is sales isn't something you do to someone. It's something you do for someone. Yeah. So it's actually about it's customer service. service. Yeah. Uh, I'm not ashamed that uh, over my career, I've earned commission and large amounts of commission or that my reps get paid large amounts of commission if they hit their targets. Uh, they should share in the success of the organization. Businesses need to make money to survive. Mm. So to me, it's actually, it's a very simple, uh, it's a facilitation role. Yeah. And it's a very challenging role. Uh, to become a, a real high-end sales professional, a very, very rare people. Um, and we've really had to take an approach of finding individuals with the appropriate uh, fundamental elements and then putting them in the crucible and putting them through our sales academy here to really try to teach them the way that we believe that that selling should be done. All right. So a few points in there. What are the characteristics that you genuinely look for in in a sales professional when I'm interviewing? Or yeah, there 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 certainly are a lot of and salespeople come in all different formats, right? So there's no real one size fits all. I think, at least, when it comes to selling, and you'd probably see that from the mix of the folks that we yeah, have in yeah. the team, right? They all come from very very diverse backgrounds. Empathic listening is incredibly important. I've heard the 60-30-10 rule get spoken about by, yeah. by Mick on your, your previous podcast. And that's critical. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you speak. And that listening needs to then be reflected to the person that you're speaking with. And this isn't just a sales thing. This is about communicating effectively in our lives. Mm. Right? You're a, a wonderful communicator. One of the probably greatest skills you have is listening. Do you remember getting taught listening in school? No. I, no, it is definitely an acquired thing right and it's something we can work in fact i was horrible at it i think we are as blokes typically that's probably the biggest feedback i get from my wife "Mm, (laughs) you don't ever listen no 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 she's wonderful it's it's (laughs) often it's uh, yeah it's it's something that we often were preparing what we're going to say next Mm. rather than actually receiving what's being said across the table from us right yeah so i think seek to understand exactly exactly yeah one of the seven habits uh professionalism Right. You're, uh, we ask of our people here to have executive level conversations because ultimately we want to go to people that, that have the purse strings in the company, that know the strategic direction, that have a genuine care factor for what goes on inside of their, their organization. Uh, consistency is key. All right. So you're judged on your worst day, not on your best. So people that are up and down too much and those sort of things, you get a lot of emotional characters. I'm one of them. Right. But if you're too inconsistent in your behaviors, it's, it's hard for people to put you know they're trusting you in that regard. yeah you don't want to you don't want to go on an emotional roller coaster when you hire someone you want them to be pretty level-headed ego in check exactly exactly and you know one of the things i kind of put that to the test recently one of my uh, team members came to me and asked me a question hey i want to know what you do in this situation i said you know what i would do in this situation he said okay i just want to make sure i said because if if you don't know what i would do in this situation i'm not being very consistent in my leadership and i need to work on that so i so think what would that, you do in this situation what was I can't the, even remember what the situation remember. was. And he went and made the right call. Yeah, great. So leading by example. Uh, allowing it, people to fail. Yeah, you know, levels of delegation as you as you you kind of build through the relationship yeah. with people, you need to give them more rope, more opportunity. Um, 
Otherwise, you're not going to scale a very effective business. I'm interested in the empathetic listening. Yes. It's often one that gets thrown around a fair bit. When I say thrown around and with good reason, right, it's absolutely there. It's one thing to to say you need to listen Mm. and you need to seek to understand. Mm. There's a follow-up to that that I think often gets missed and it's actually being able to ask good questions. Definitely. (laughs) Because you could, the, the conversation can run out very quickly. I think the the ability to being able to ask questions and consistently and open ended questions and seek to find the, the little you know we talk about rabbit holes a lot. The ra- go down the rabbit hole right. with the client, understand what their pain points are, where where what their uh, fear points are for the future, what they feel within their staff and what their staff needs and what their customer needs. If you can consistently ask these questions then I think listening becomes much easier because you want to learn that information from the questions that you're asking. And Yeah, so I think the two go hand in hand. Oh, they absolutely do. And I think, you know, often you get the, the closed question, the open question and those sort of things. Empathic listening, and people always confuse sympathy and empathy. Yeah, they do. I got told a, a nice analogy for that one time is, is sympathy is standing above a hole while the person is in. Yeah. And empathy is getting in the hole with them. Yeah. And that's a Brene Brown thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're you're very widely read, so I forget. <laughs> I often forget where these things come from. So thank you for always always helping me with that. Um, no, but really, it, it does go hand in hand. Um, critical listening. In order to be able to ask strategic questions, you have to be a great listener. Mm. Uh, I think those things go, definitely uh, go hand in hand. They do. We've talked about authenticity a fair bit. Yes. Is that one of the characteristics that you believe? So you talk about consistency, but is authenticity that's the perception of the snake oil salesman, the used car salesman, the commissions, earning commissions? How do you be authentic when people have that preconceived idea of you? I think you work bloody hard to try to break it down is really the only way to do that. You give them positive experiences to outweigh the negative ones that they had. Um, it, being aware of it going into it, I think, is critical to winning that battle because, um, you know, how can you defeat an enemy you don't understand? Mm. And I often, I, I think you need to know who you are first before you go into it. Because mm. sales is a, is, a, is a hard knock sport, right? Mm. You get knocked to the canvas hard, especially with a high-performing one like we have here. Yeah. Um, we expect greatness, right? Mm. That's part of being part of the team here. So you don't really get the high fives for doing what's required. You go above and beyond is what we look for. The Nuago Concierge is something we talk about a lot. You know, so so explain that. The Nuago Concierge. So you go to a nice hotel somewhere, right? Yeah. You go stay with your family there. It, the person at the concierge seems like nothing is too hard for them to assist you with, right? They're not disingenuous, right? They're yeah. not leading you down the garden path. They're just there to go above and beyond and make sure you have that white glove five-star experience with them. And you can go buy a computer from anybody. Right. You can go buy from one of the other 400 shops in town that you can do similar services to what we might be able to do. Yeah. I'd like to think that our people are a lot better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's going to differentiate us is the service. And the way that you deliver better service is by getting people that are geared towards living by your values. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. My mind's going to every time I walked into a clothing shop or something like that. And I generally don't like when people come up to me and say, can I help you? Right. No, I don't need help. I'm here looking. But then I also get very frustrated when they don't come up exactly. to me and say, yeah. <laughs> because I, and I actually walk out. It's like, there's no one here 
that actually gives a shit, right? If that's the right Absolutely. wording, there. Absolutely. So um, when using that as a as a custom from a customer service tool, is that what we are doing in sales? Is we're serving. Hmm. That's basically we're there to serve ultimately. And if if people uh, don't want to be bothered with things, you need to leave them to it. We deal with all sorts of different walks of life in this mm. game, right? And, you know, as you were saying that as well, Dan, I was thinking about in the United States, they've got this system where you, you tip the waiter, mm. which I think is a ridiculous system. Pay people enough money. Uh, yeah. the, the restaurant, the proprietor, you know, give them the appropriate clip of this. But obviously, it starts at a governmental level, whatever. But yeah. the, 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 the piece I want to draw here is that ultimately, every time that waiter comes to the table, I often hear, how is my tip going? Because it's almost over the top. If you and I were yeah. sitting there and trying to have lunch and the person appears five times at the table, you're going, Okay, this is over serving yeah. me, and it almost starts to become a little bit put on at that yeah. point. So there's my, a Goldilocks. There uh, absolutely is a Goldilocks on something we talk about a lot, right? It's right in the middle somewhere where, but you need to be relevant. Mm. Um, you know, it, it depends on because of the type of services that our businesses deliver. It's not highly transactional. They're a little bit more kind of strategic, I would call them conversations. So it's really important because you don't get a lot of opportunities to get a second chance in this sort of game. People make their mind up pretty quickly, right? Yeah, they do. How do you? So you've got a, a team and a, a team of professionals, mm-hmm. which I love, right? It, that is that is sales focused, service focused, account managed focused, right? That how do we continually serve our client? How do we continually add value? Yes, that's your approach. Brilliant. How do you get the rest of the team on board? How do you get those? Like you know, Dan Pink, Daniel Pink writes a book to sell as human. The, the simple, uh, uh, basic. Um, meaning of that book is that everyone sells. If you work for a company and you are at, a, at, at the barbecue at your friend's neighbor's house next door and someone says, what do you do? Mm. You are in a position of selling at that point. Yeah. Uh, so how do you get your team uh, uh, to welcome the um, the ability to sell? Is it part of the culture? Is it the, the simple fact that they're so proud to work and wear the badge of New Argo on them? Or is it, do you train them? Is there anything that you guys do in that space? Yeah, I think it's probably the the, the first two, I, well, I would hope that they are. I believe that by creating a vibrant culture where people like coming to work, naturally they want to tell other people about it, right? If you've had a great experience or you've got a product that you just love, we were, I think we were talking about our mobile phones before. Mm. You go and you talk about it, right? Yeah. You think it's a fantastic thing because you want more people to come along. <laughs> that's why our team is largely grown here by the referral system. Yeah, you know, there's more people that are like-minded. We, my brother, played this. Our, our managing director, Brendan, uh, he played this video of the, the dancing man. I've mean, seen this guy. He's, he's, I think he's clearly had a, a couple two shandies uh, at this <laughs> at Woodstock-looking event. That he's, yeah. at, and he's dancing there crazy by himself. And like two minutes later, everybody has started to join this guy and they're dancing with yeah. the crazy man. Yeah. And that's what we, we spoke about when we started Nuango. We were just the one kind of crazy guy yeah. standing there going, hey, we think we have something great to bring to market. We think we can create a, a wonderful organization where people come and feel like they're getting the best out of themselves and can hopefully you know, grow some friendships along the way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the way that I, I think it happens. Uh, we we talk about our why. We, we're reminded by our why, our mission, our vision constantly. And it's something that through the whole interview process, through your offer letter that's in, in your, your letter of offer, or at least uh, in your, your employment package when you first start to, to come on board with us. So I think it, it it ends up becoming part of the fabric as well when it's not, the vo- the values aren't just something you walk past in the morning. Uh, we genuinely have a, a vision and a purpose that I think uh, everybody sees as, as congruent throughout the company. And I think that's imperative to 
people wanting to go evangelize the brand. And I think you talked about authenticity before. Yeah. Therein is authenticity. Yeah. Uh, people then just going saying, this is my actual experience. So that's all selling is at the core to me is going out and telling stories of examples where you've been able to maybe assist a, a customer with a similar yeah, challenge absolutely. previously. Do you, do you have an expectation on these people though that if there is an opportunity that they they go and seek it or do you, is, is it just left to your sales team? Like what, do, you, do you pay bonus schemes or something like that? that oh, yeah, people absolutely. For, for, for outside of the sales team? Why not? Yeah. You know, why should you have to have a sales title? If you generate income for the organization that helps everything we're trying to achieve here, why wouldn't we, you know, share in that for you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a meritocracy, right? You know where the work is done. Let's let's let's, let's assist. Yeah. Uh, you know in, in sharing the wealth that's created from it. So I'm a new salesperson, new BDM, been hired. You've said I've got all those characteristics on that list. I think you do, Dan. <laughs> well, there's a few. Is this probably, an yeah, 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 that's it. It's turned into one now. Mm. What what do what does my first week look like with the business? It's a big one. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's because uh, you talked about the sales academy. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of lot of a uh, lot of input, right? So the first two weeks is is really is about understanding our organization at, at every single level. What is it that we do, and why? Most importantly, why is it that we do what we do? How do we go about doing it? And then we really get into who are our customers. What are the problems we might have been able to solve for them? Um, and then we start to work through what we call the sales excellence pillars here. Uh, 12 different elements of how we uh, approach becoming a professional salesperson. And we, we refer back to this content quite a lot. And we've got uh, enablement pieces that, that um, have been developed over, over um, several iterations of, of different sales roles that I've been in and, and things that I've stolen from um, companies that my dad has started. And I've tried to add little bits and pieces um, as the market has shifted uh, to that. So it's really going through intensive sessions around what's the great first meeting look like. Mm. Uh, we do one on fanatical prospecting. There's a book by Jeb Blunt. Uh, and that's really just about how do I get access to these sort of people to tell my message to them? Mm. Um, we, we talk about the, the 60, 30, 10 rule yeah. uh, and all those elements. So and I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask you, how do sure. you get access to these people? Uh, we talked about CEOs <laughs> and the, asking for uh, my gold now. Yeah, Dan. no, no, but um, well, as a general rule of yeah. thumb, how do we get in front? How do we beat the gatekeepers and get in front? You got to do your homework first mm -hmm. and foremost. Um, you know, cold calling needs to become warm calling. So how do you warm up your 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 CRM, right? Your your customer relationship management system. I think that's that's step one is is knowing your target, right? Vague plans get vague results, and you as a start, you've been a startup. Yeah, uh, it's it's analogous to that. You you talk to everybody. When you first start, and you become probably more focused, more choosy, and and more, uh, you know, we we try to operate more of a laser focus for people because I feel that you know that really gets you a, an outcome that you're looking for a lot quicker than yeah. this kind of any old yeah. get you there approach. Um, so it's really about determining as well what is the background this person has come from, where is their interest and their passion, and then aligning the customer base they go after to that. That's how we go with back to authenticity yeah. again. Well, align people to their passion. Yeah. The, there's a lot of CEOs who won't give their time to you. Yes, right. Yep. There's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of noise on LinkedIn. Certainly, is. every person who's got the title CEO, CIO, COO, director, executive director, whatever, is getting ten to twenty LinkedIn messages a day from yeah. 
hey, can I help you, right? And how do I, can I sell you this? If LinkedIn is is so bombarded and the the phone call is uh, is a tough one because you don't have their details in your CRM, yeah. Where do you what do you do? Like, where do you, how do you get in front of these people? What what, we, we, what what approach do you use to fill up your CRM? Is it working with the marketing team? Is it just going out there and trying to meet as many people as possible? Right. Is it guessing what the their what their email might be? Look, there's you probably covered. I've seen all of the all above, of the above. Um, yeah. and there there is no silver bullet, right? You, things come together in, in various ways. Um, as you grow and as you build reputation, okay, you start to maybe get a little bit more referral business starting mm-hmm. to come back. But we try to not rely on referral business. We've got a message we want to tell the market and we try to get out there and pound the pavement. In order to get access to your question around access, getting to these C-suite people, it is hard yakka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we go with the layer cake approach, right? Our executive team is involved in our selling yeah. right? every single day of the week. The folks who started this company, they're obviously very passionate about what yeah, we do absolutely. in the business. My favorite place to be is being in front of a customer, listening to them, ideally getting to tell them a little bit about our story and and seeing if some things align. So our access into a company may not be starting at the C-suite, mm. but it also might. Yeah. Uh, it could be from one of the boards or uh, associations or groups that, that the executive team are on. You meet people through those associations. It could be that you and I uh, you know, are, are sitting down having breakfast one day and comparing notes and... It just so happens that I can make an intro for you. You can make one for me. And then we align a a business development manager depending on uh, the market focus in which Mm -hmm. they have um, so that we can go out and try to say, look, number one, what are you about? And number two, do we think that we could assist in in helping you execute on that strategic vision? Brilliant. So I'm going to go back to your 60-30-10 model, Mm -hmm. 60% listening. You're in front of a CEO or CIO for the first time and you got half an hour, 20 minutes. How do you listen for 20 of those minutes? <laughs> those ones are tough, right? Yeah. The, it, sometimes that can also be an indicator that that's not a prime prospect for you yeah. to look at. Uh, half an hour, it's tough to get through because we can't do business till we know each other, right? Yeah. We talk about the no like trust continuum. Yeah. You need to know me before you can like me, before you're going to trust me. And trust is required before we can start to build rapport, do business, do all that, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's a hard one to do in 20 or 30 minutes, yeah. but um, y- you set the expectation from the outset of the meeting, mm. right? You need to respect that this person's time, they could be a very busy person in 20 to 30 minutes is an absolute luxury for them to be giving you. Yeah. So that could be the point that we're going to actually get their lunch in for the day because they had 16, 17 minutes. You've had some of these days, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. So number one, going in and respecting their time and saying, look, setting the expectation, the purpose of our meeting today, mm-hmm. actually letting them know. Often that's glazed over and people just start to rabbit on how the yeah. crows go on the weekend and all this, that. And so what other. is your expectation? Is, your, is, is, is Setting the expectation, is it going, is I'm here to sell you something or is it I'm here to get to know you? Or It's ultimately I'm here to get to know you. It's yeah. actually I'm not here to sell you anything today. Yeah. It's otherwise it'd be like going to the doctor without telling the doc any, he doesn't ask you any questions about what your, your problem is. Yeah. Hey, but here's some antibiotics Yeah. and you go home and he never even asked <laughs> yeah. you yeah, about what your challenges yeah. were. So I think it's really going into understand because we, we can't help every customer. Yeah. Uh, businesses need to be in the right position sometimes because we choose the customer as well as the customer choosing us. That's what mm. partnership is about. Mm. And that's why we don't want to be treated like a subby. That's just, you know, thrown by the wayside, lowest cost wins. That's not our customer. Yeah. We're not about having all of Adelaide as our customers. Mm. We want the ones that values align with us, that value technology, that value the security posture of their business. 
So you guys are at a point where that's available now. Is that where you were at the start? Oh, absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. Absolutely not. You know, I was, I was, uh, anybody who would have a chat with me, we'd be, we'd be. Uh, was a prospect. Know. Exactly. We, in the top, there was a whiteboard out in the, the back part of the building there. And we, we each wrote our estimate on when we'd get our first order. And we're yeah. sitting there. And I remember we were going crazy sitting there. And we finally got a laptop order. We're high-fiving and going bonkers about it. But it's a scary world starting a company. And yeah. you got to be a little bit crazy. you got to be the right around of crazy, I think, to do this sort of sport. Yeah, so. yeah it's uh, it's not for the faint-hearted. No, not at all. So you've got uh, – you uh, from everything that you've been talking about here, I've been hearing avatars, personas, not our customer, yep. right? You haven't used those words, but that's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Typically, in a service, well, we're not selling widgets here. You're selling a service. You're selling value add to the company. What would your typical avatar look like? Is it the C-suite? Is it managerial level? And when you do research, what does that research look like? What are you What are you sure. trying to find, and, and where do you find it? Whatever you can. Yeah. You spoke before about, and I'm gonna jump around a little bit with this one. You spoke before about LinkedIn being pretty congested. Well, if you're only using LinkedIn and you're just trying to, okay, I'm going to buy a LinkedIn premium profile and try to get my free credits to send a message to these people, you're, you're probably not going to get access to them. You probably get a ton of these a day, right? I get 12, 15 of these things a day. People yeah. trying to add me from some business. Hi, I noticed we had a similar uh, interests. It'd be great to connect and you see I'm a recruitment agent or I work with an outsourced company. Yeah, I'm a growth um, strategist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I help businesses with sales leads and yeah. these things. Hey, everybody's got to make a cross, but I, I don't think that you've earned the position to pitch me at that point. You know what I mean? It's That's far too easy. That's lazy selling in my opinion. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's I can't even remember the genesis necessarily of this exact question, but um, <laughs> because it's, it is such a, a complex sport to play there, there are so many things that you can find on the internet, but what is relevant? Because you get so many different types of people as well. Um, it is hard to find certain people on, on online as yes. well, right? Yeah, well, if you're looking, let's say you work in, like you guys do a lot of work with schools. Yes. How do you find information on people in schools, especially like it, it's one of those things in non-for-profits. There's, there's good news stories about what they're doing yeah. as a non-for-profit, but from a... How do I add value point of view? It's a, it's a tough gig to... It's a scrappy sport, right? Mm. You got to be a little scrappy to, yeah. to be a good business development manager. And how you find information, it can... You know what I tell... You could go have a coffee with the janitor because he could give you information about the great business that he works for. And he's going to give you insight about it. It doesn't have to be the C-suite. Mm. It can be anybody inside of that business because we have influencers, we have decision makers, and we typically have a chorus of people that are making any strategic business decision these days. So... Uh, You've got to really be resilient. You talked a lot about resilience before. You've got to be gritty, uh, but you've got to be scrappy. You've got to find a way to win. Um, you've got to, f- okay, who am I playing against? Yeah, you get to take knocks. Sell your differences. Yeah. You know, people often go sell their sameness. You know, like I said before, anybody can sell you a computer. Mm. What's your differentiator? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It, may, it makes you think. So, how, how do you get more people in your CRM then? How do you, mm. you know, you, as a, as a new business, you start off and you've got, yes, you've got your networks and you've got your contacts and yes, you've been around for a while, but you might have 500, 1,000 people in your CRM based on previous contacts and everyone's all amalgamated, put together. How do you get 10,000 people in your CRM? That's a good question. Where, where you get these, you know, you read the fanat- fanatical prospecting books and you read all these sales Bible books and everything like that where mm-hmm. they say 120 calls a day. 
I don't, I don't have enough people in my CRM to. I'd run out after about right. a, a week of calls. How do you fill up your your CRM in that space? It's that's the, uh, the probably the biggest sales challenge, right? Uh, if you if you give a good quality leads list to a sales rep, they can typically pick the phone up and convert those into first meetings with a customer, which yeah. then starts the process from there. Um, with filling up ours, the approach that we've taken is a combination of absolutely personal network. You know, Adelaide is an interesting parochial town, so we we have to um, adapt our approach to the market in which we play, right? So some of the people that might be listening to this are, might be in different markets where it may not necessarily apply yeah, it in, in, in a less parochial context. But uh, it's about really what's your, your, your market vertical focus, I think, also starts to determine where you're going to go. Because once you know, hey, I'm going to go after the defense sector. Well, there's plenty of resources out there to go find. Well, here's the types of businesses. And then you start to just work your way through the, the sausage factory ultimately at that point, right? So it's, okay, well, I know that I want to go after XYZ Defense Prime. Who are the people there? LinkedIn will start to show you who those people are, what their titles might be. Depending on their positions, they may not uh, be putting a whole lot on LinkedIn about themselves yeah. because they- Definitely not a phone number. Right, exactly. Exactly. So then comes the challenging part of the actual cold call, which is a little bit warmer at this point. Yeah. but. It's really hard to get access through these people. So, yeah, uh, cold calling is an art and a science as much as it is a, you know, repetition game. You have mentioned that you prefer the warm call versus the cold call. How do you go about getting the warm intro? The warm intro is one thing. The warm call... Hey, you know, I try to warm up a cold call, so it's not necessarily by uh, an intro. Ideally, we want a reference in there. Yeah, mm. by all means. Hey, Dan, you know X Y Z over at this company. I'd love if if you wouldn't mind if I can use your name, or better off if you wouldn't mind giving them a bell for me and saying, "Hey, look out for this this company. They're going to give you a call. They do yeah. good work." Yeah. Uh, so warming up the call is important to at least understand what does this business do? Because often a salesperson will go into it just going, "Oh, I've got the yellow pages flip through, call a number," without even really understanding. What is it that they do? And if you're calling this person to ask for their time, because that's ultimately what you're doing, interrupting their day, you better have some value to add. And how can you add value if you don't really understand anything about them whatsoever? Mm. So is that your conversion to warm when you then understand who they are? Is that? Yeah. So the conversion to warm, I think, is really, it's about going through that that qualification criteria of, of is this, is this a Nuago prospect even to start with before you pick the phone up, mm. right? Because it's it's hard to get hung up on. It's, you know, cold calling is one of the most challenging things to exactly. do. And when yeah. Anybody wants to, to turn their nose up at sales or laugh and say, hey, you're most welcome anytime to come give it a try. Uh, <laughs> when we started the company, all the founders sat there and got a taste for cold calling, even if they hadn't been in sales before. So mm. it's, it, it can be a, a, a very challenging thing to do. Um, and so you want to, my, my takeaway to this is do anything you can to, to understand the individual or the business on which you're, or the, the business that you're trying to go after ultimately. Mm. It, it is, it is hard though, because sales, there's a lot of books and techniques and everything that you can read, a lot of podcasts you can listen to, yeah. audible, you know, audible, whatever it might be, who are all sort of saying the same thing. So people are becoming more and more educated in sales. The idea of the used car salesman is is reducing the sales training programs mm-hmm. that you can do. So now everyone's trying to find research about right. everyone, and right. they're, they're all doing their research. Mm. So then, still, it becomes a highly competitive market. How do you, how does Nuago di- differentiate themselves? How do you guys stand out from the crowd? From a, a pure sales standpoint, yeah, or even yeah, 
well, sales and marketing point of view, well, you know, you might even give us your sales pitch now. How does how do you guys uh, lead the way in what you do? I think that the actual people we select uh, is the most critical element. It, moving from a transactional to a transformational selling organization. So I've been in ones before. It's about moving volume, moving the widget, and those sort of things. Yeah. For us, it's more about wanting to work with less customers but go more broad and, and, and have more depth with them and longer-term relationships where we're actually helping move them in a strategic direction. So at the, at the risk of sounding like this is pre-canned, it's, it's genuinely it's about the intelligent people that we hire and the backgrounds that they have and what they bring. A couple of our guys are chartered accountants. One's been an IT manager before. We, so we've got some really interesting, diverse mm. sort of backgrounds that folks come from. But we spend an incredible amount of time enabling our salespeople. Um, you know, I'm in every single first meeting pretty much that we have yeah. with a customer. So once our, our warriors go, go pound the phones and get meetings, I want to go out there and tell the message not to, you know, suck all the air out of the room. I, you know, earlier in the piece, it'll be me doing most of the pitch so that they see the way that we go about doing, uh, doing the sales craft at Noago. But ultimately I start to then take a back seat in those meetings to the point where, Hey, they probably don't need me, but good luck trying to get me to not go tell the <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, right? So, right. Where you, you're still passionate about the business, which is great. Yeah. Your team, you so you, as a sales manager, we using let's put our sales manager hat on now. Yeah, yeah. How do you set goals, KPIs? What are, what are your expectations of the team? You know, as you talk about a performance culture. Mm. What does that look like for your team, and and how do you hold them account to it through the CRM, all the above? Yeah, all, all the above. So. Um, I think there's a saying you could probably tell me who said it because you've got a great plan for that. <laughs> uh, you you can only manage what you can measure. Yeah. Uh, so it's really important. And in a sport like selling, it, it's all numbers driven for the most part. You know, how many calls you make equals probably how many meetings you get. Well, you get your conversion there. So if I pick up the phone a hundred times and I get ten meetings, well, I mean, you know, you got a ten percent conversion rate. The the formula that we have is around X amount of meetings per month that a rep would have to have in order to see success for themselves. Meetings with quality, anyone? Quality no, quality? so meetings with an outbound customer. So, and, you know, in this digital age we live, it's wonderful. And these are enabling and uh, tools that really help us on the ancillary. But we're still absolutely about getting in front of people. Right? Yeah. You know, we lose a lot of the ability to interact and to build authentic relationships with people. I think if it's solely through digital means, it's absolutely helped us through these times. Yeah. And will continue to be integrated into what we do in our, in our lives, in our work. But uh, I think that. You know, we're we're big fans of the old school of get in front of people and actually uh, have that face to face experience. Do you count uh, when you are looking at KPIs and looking at your numbers? Do you count the meetings in front of people who aren't decision makers? So often you have to have a few meetings with the non decision makers and admin type roles and the lower level of the business. Yeah. Let's say without being rude, like the lower, you know, the sort of the bottom of the pyramid to work your way up you get your referrals hey have a really great meeting with them they're working on a project you just speak to my manager mm. oh, yep absolutely mm -hmm. let's move up the move up the chain are they included in as part of your or, or do you purely look at you get the ones uh you, you certainly get some of those we, we would prefer to be getting access to the people that are making decisions you certainly need to find your way in yeah uh, whatever way you can but it really comes back to your qualification criteria we use the t-band method here it's one of the ones you've probably seen a lot of the mm -hmm. books um and, and it's really that assists the, the the business development manager to have a compass on is this the person that i should be talking to because you can burn a lot of cycles who doesn't want a free coffee yeah. Right? Yeah. That's Someone right. says to me, you know, I'm going to get a macchiato down the street. Well, I'm, I'm going to have a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's definitely about being rigorous with that, that um, 
that qualification criteria and being real with yourself. Mm. Um, is there actually opportunity here for me? Can I add some value in this space? Or am I, am I best to give some focus to something that I can actually uh, add some value around and, and hopefully achieve a new relationship through? So your salesman or salesperson hasn't achieved what they need to achieve in two or three months running. Mm. What conversation do you have with them? What does that look like? You, it wouldn't go two or three months with us, right? So your forecast, your, your, they say your pipeline is your lifeline, right? So we at an executive level pay very close attention to our forecast because that's going to dictate the cash that comes into the company and our hiring. Who are the people that are bringing the business? Those are two of the most important fundamentals in, in running any business. So we look at the pipe quite far out in terms of we know the amount of meetings will equal the amount of deals to be able to achieve the, the metrics that we want to, that we put down uh, at the beginning of every financial year as a board. Uh, so it's really just cascades down uh, from that for the objectives the reps need to achieve. If they're missing for two to three months, well, they're probably not making enough calls. Mm -hmm. And we're measuring that far before that happens. We do have a great CRM system and, and uh, we're able to go forward and measure uh, each of these different elements for it. So to classify, you know, is this a true prospect or is this an influencer maybe inside of the prospect? I think is definitely a good um, piece to look at. But sales animals, they don't want to be investigated too deeply and you don't want to have them spending too much time on activities that aren't the things that they're passionate about which is going out having great conversations building relationships and ultimately evangelizing the brand so two to three months uh you know they'd be saying to that person do you really want to do the sport you know yeah. i think um that's tough for two or three months you start to get behind in the sales game it's hard to recover if you're yeah. getting behind for that confidence period of time yeah definitely your confidence once it's low it's really hard to get back up off the canvas and go you know I'd lace my boots up today and go get hung up on a, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you, there's got to be a point where you, even if it's not two months, it's one month. Like if someone's not meeting them, meeting their, their requirements, how quickly do you sweep in? They, they know before I do. Yeah. Okay. You know, so that's uh, the type of culture you've built. Absolutely. You know, you, yeah. people get trust from the outset. It's not something yeah. that they earn. Yeah. Uh, you lose your integrity once you can't get it back. So, Really, you know, we have, I have one-on-ones with my team once a fortnight. Uh, we have every Monday morning is our forecast meeting. I have a 90-day forecast call that each of the business development managers has to do each month. Um, and they get access to our executive team to say, hey, here's what I'm looking to achieve. And here's the type of resourcing that I would require in order to be able to execute on these objectives. So, yeah, you, you, it's too long between drinks for me. If we're going two or three months and this person's missed their number, I've probably failed them as a leader. I might have selected... Um, somebody that wasn't necessarily right uh, yeah. for this sort of game. So. Yes, yeah, so you look inwardly. Yeah. That's what we always have to do, right? Yeah. We can't control others' actions. So it's really a, well, what can I control in this situation? Circle of influence, circle of control type thing. And really, well, what I can control is what I do from here. And, um, you know, I try to operate with that mentality. I fail at it quite a lot, but <laughs> try to operate with that mentality as best possible. Absolutely. The, the marketing of, of, of the team as well, do you manage the marketing aspect of the to, business? To date, I have. We've engaged uh, one of the best houses in Adelaide to not take that over because sales and marketing often get lumped into the same bucket, but um, they're obviously 
distinct disciplines that absolutely need their own focuses. So I've certainly learned a lot in the marketing journey over the last four, four and a half years or so. Um, and learning under my father has been great because he obviously had a marketing background. I've been probably more on the sales side of things. Um, but there's, there's a significant discipline to marketing and it's a lot of people just think it's the brand, which is mm. obviously one of the, the key outputs. I'm sure you guys have looked at the three C's and four P's and all those yeah. things. Right. So, um, big advocate of that. And I'm very excited about what we're doing with the external company we're working with now in brighter, uh, here locally, which is a fantastic company that really aligns with us. And I think, uh, the next step or the next, uh, kind of outputs we're going to have are going to be quite impressive. And, you know, my recreational approach to marketing i think is now going to have a lot more of a, um, a professional perspective and I'm, I'm really excited for it she's going to create more inbound leads for you guys oh i mean that's that's a that'd be a lovely output of that but it's that that consistency of, of brand that congruence mm-hmm. that every time you deal with nuago there's a, there's a there's a distinct feeling about it um, at, at, whether it's any of the different folks you meet from our, our wonderful business, whether it's the, the logo, the branding, the taglines, the events that we run, the, the quality solutions that we're synonymous with. Um, so we want all that to always just feel like the consistent uh, Nuago experience for our clients and alliance partners. So I'm a new, I'm a new young gun coming up in the world. Yeah, you are. Interested. <laughs> not, not me personally. I'm using this as an example. Uh, I don't feel young. Trust me. The, the and I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? Sales seems like a lucrative world. It seems like, you know, you often hear companies that say, our highest paid person in this company is the salesperson. So it, it makes you think, and we know a few young guns that, uh, that are floating around the market as well. He's probably listening right now. Uh, what is the, what is some of the advice that you would give to someone looking to start their career in, in the sales world? From a, a wealth generation standpoint, because you mentioned uh, well, lucrative there, so are you? Well, are you lucrative. Saying- well, okay. So the younger generation would generally look at sales as a lucrative. I yes, can, I can. Yep. I can earn some decent coin yep. without having to study. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Right. It's a. It's almost the the get quick, uh, get uh, rich quick scheme. Sure. Essentially, it can look like that from the outside. Yeah. Having having known. What um, some of these real estate agents yeah. are earning, yeah. and some you, you know you, you see that these these people are earning some quite quite decent dollars. Yeah. When someone is making that decision, in, in the throes of making that decision, and you put your arm around them and you say, "What do you say?" I'd say, "Buckle up, buddy," because that's yeah. a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a, a sport. You're correct. Can it be lucrative? Yes. But there's a reason not a lot of people are successful in doing it because it is absolutely day in, day out, a, a sport for the gritty. Mm. Uh, and that's why they do get to, to share in the wealth of it. Yep, the highest paid person in this company is the salesperson. Mm. And I have no problems with that. Yeah. Because if the salesperson is generating that sort of capital, they should be sharing in it because the company is also taking their piece. Yeah. And if you, you might have gotten your sales plan wrong, if that's not Lock if that's steps. not in lockstep, you know, yeah. it's that's ultimately known. The, well, the business is sustainable and this person is going out there and, and going the hard yards and standing there, you know, taking it in the front line. Um, so, you know, I don't ever have a problem with the fact that uh, sales professionals can make a commission because they, they have a, a long journey ahead of them before they get to that level. And you mentioned before about without study or training. 
you're going to be pretty bad at this sport and you're yeah. probably going to you're probably going to fall into that camp before around disingenuous uh the the used car salesman snake oil salesman because uh, the best sales professionals that I know are truly that they're mm. professionals that treat this as a as a craft uh, and they come here every day to learn and be students of that craft. So my advice would be um, listen, listen first and foremost, uh, develop strategic questioning, uh, empathically listen, and that can be practiced every day. You don't have to be selling to empathically yeah. listen. A lot of the key fundamentals of being a sales professional, in my opinion, and it's simply my opinion, um, are those good core fundamentals around being a good communicator in life, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a, a good daughter or son, um, being a good parent, all those sort of things. Love it. You're very, very well spoken, Connor. What's, uh, what do you do outside of, of work? Do you, you know, from a growth perspective, do you spend a lot of time on personal development? Do you, you what? What are your habits? How do you go about your everyday learning, especially as a, as, a, as a leader of a business? And we talked about it being lonely at the top and building that grit and resilience yeah, yeah. and a confused entrepreneur. How do you how do you become unconfused? What do you do to to develop yourself? Uh, there's, I think, a lot of things. You know, absolutely, um, self education is is so important. Um, you know, the day that I stop learning is the day it's time for me to call it quits. Um, because when you start to believe your own bullshit, it's you're <laughs> probably getting towards the end of what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, so absolutely educate yourself every single day. Um, you know, I think there, there's a quote, and again, you're probably going to know the person, is it Gandhi, um, that says, uh, live as if you'll die tomorrow, but learn as if you'll live forever. Yeah. Um, I love that. Mm. You know, it's Kaizen. We talked about that one before. Mm. It's not broken, fix it anyway. There's always yeah. something new and interesting out there. And I get I get bored quickly. I need to give my my mind something to be stimulated by. Uh, so, I mean, give an example. What do, what do I do? Well, this morning, I'll just try to think back to that. It'll probably be the easiest way. <laughs> Up at five, I uh, read a, a, a document that got released for a, a tender last night. Um, had a coffee whilst listening to, uh, to a, a podcast this morning. Uh, then went and met my personal trainer with my wife and worked out, did some Wim Hof, uh, breathing after that, got ready, came to work. Um, but typically what I'll do is I'll read three or four or five different publications in the morning. So probably about a half an hour of reading of trying to get up to speed on what's happening in my market, what's happening in our economy, um, ensuring that I, I plan my day ahead, um, schedule my priorities so that my, my schedule doesn't prioritize my time. Um, because you know, the inbox is going to start to take over and the phone calls and teams and every other platform under the sun, the interruption, I'm surprised we haven't had one. Yeah. Here. Um, you put the sign out. Yeah. So the Win Wim Hof breathings, just for those who don't know, Wim Hof is an absolute freak and probably one he's, of the, he's the, man. the most, Tim Ferriss has a lot of, uh, interviews with him. I think Joe Rogan does a lot. So yeah. you can go and kind of find it. He's got books out and, and whatnot as well. What is the Wim Hof reading? Is that your form of meditation? Yeah, look, I, I also like uh, some traditional meditation yeah. as well. I've found it to work best for me. I think everybody's got their own piece in meditation. It can come in many forms from nature walk. Some people like to do even you know fire watching and these sort of things. But I like Wim Hof because it's it's really it's about centering your breathing, not necessarily quieting your mind. Because I always have a real problem to to make the mind still. Yeah. It's such a hard thing to do. Um, but Wim Hof really helps you, I guess, with. Uh, physiologically as well the guy holds insane amount of world mm. records and things for feats of physical endurance and he's known as the ice man so he's, yeah he's, i do the the ice cold showers uh and and the breathing technique and it really it helps activate parts of your your, your nervous system that wouldn't be otherwise and i mean i think they even injected him with uh, e coli at one point 
and they monitored all his vitals. They had him in a, in a hospital with him hooked up to a whole bunch of different machines and uh, it didn't impact his immune system. Nice. So I figured there's something to be learned in that. The guy went through some really, really tough times in the 90s with the loss of his wife due to mental illness, um, left with four kids. Uh, and he was searching for purpose and found through this sort of breathing. And uh, he's, his whole premise is finding comfort in discomfort. And it's really about building that that resilience and that you start your day with an ice cold shower in the middle of winter, mm, the rest of your day doesn't yeah, seem that, that challenging. That, that not so bad. <laughs> is that part of your process of keeping your mind fresh? I mean, you're running a business, you you come into work and you, know, you make those sales calls. Not that you'd probably do as much of it anymore. You probably still do. You're constantly getting knocked back. There's the ups and downs of business. You, someone once told me that you can have a – you know you've made it in business when you have a bad day and a good day in the same day. So how do you keep your mind fresh? How do you keep coming back for more the next day and yeah. giving it your all and giving your people, uh, leading your people into the next day? What do you do? It's important about recharging you to find those things for you and they're, they're different for everybody. But for me, it's, it's, it's exercise. Uh, it's time spent with my, my beautiful wife and my daughter and our, our little silly dog. Um, it's about going out and having new adventures, keeping things fresh, but also switching off, um, from technology. So I make sure that I, I schedule time where I actually put the tech away and I try to be there and be present, uh, with my wife and my, my daughter, um, because it's so important, especially with all the notifications coming up on our screens. Uh, it's, it's so easy to get sucked into those things. You, I'm sure you've watched the social dilemma. Um, I haven't yet. No. Oh, but, I got you but, on one. But, but I think I, <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's been recommended to me a thousand times. Sure. I have all notifications switched off anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So I've just, I, yeah, I know the importance of it. Absolutely. So. It's, uh, you know, I've had a LinkedIn for quite some time, but I think I ditched the socials back in 2012 or 2013, mm. just because I found it wasn't giving me, uh, the focus I wanted to determine for myself, it was, I had a technology platform determining my focus. Yeah. So I agree. How you mentioned your daughter, how has fatherhood changed your life? Oh, Oh, in such positive ways, you know, you, once you've gone through becoming a parent, you're a parent, it, it really, everything else seems less important seems less challenging mm. um but it really it gives you a sense of purpose where it it made me for the first time think about legacy and what i wanted to leave the world for her mm. uh and for my future children hopefully so yeah i i it's hard to explain you so know what's what her I mean? name ailish ailish beautiful yeah thank you so she's yeah four years old little sass queen but a, a, <laughs> a whiz kid you know it's it's taught me about to slow down i think you know, when you, you see your kid playing in the dirt, looking at a flower or, you know, fascinated by uh, looking up at the clouds moving and those sort of things. I think it in our fast paced world where everything's going a million miles an hour, it seems to just stop and appreciate the the small things in life is so important. My my grandmother, uh, Mayme, she's 89. I hope she listens to this. She's uh, down in Florida. I haven't been able to leave the house for about six or seven months because of bloody pandemic. She says something. I don't buy green bananas. No, I love that saying. It's, you know, nobody likes to eat a green banana. It's disgusting, yeah. right? She buys bananas for today. Yeah. You know, eat them because you never know. You're not promised tomorrow. Yeah. And I think if anything I've learned this year is to slow down and appreciate what's happening right now because you never know when, you're, when your time is up. And uh, I think ultimately that's what fatherhood's really 
put an explanation point on for me is that, you know, enjoy, find those moments to enjoy every single day. You know, don't delay that gratification for Mm. yourself. It's hard work though. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a, a constant battle. The one thing that I learned when I became a father for the first time was that it was no longer about me. Absolutely. But I reckon that's the most humbling experience and learning that I've ever had. It, it, it literally, I, it, I am here to serve, right? And, I, and I've actually learned that that is a, a really great model or method to use in life, that I'm not here for myself. Right. I'm here to serve other people. Yes, I'm here to look after myself and look after my health and, 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 and spend time on my own development and growth and set my own goals, yes. But ultimately... I, it's almost a selfish thing. Happiness and the, the the enjoyment of life comes when you're surrounded by other people. I, I, that, well, that's my belief anyway. Oh, introverts are probably screaming at me right now. But <laughs> Fortunately, but, I'm not one of those. Yeah. Guys, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just conscious of time. We are we are approaching that we're, we're probably if not over the hour mark. Gabs has given us the nod. You are a big reader and a learner. And I want to ask you a few. There's two questions here in regards to books. Sure. The first question, I'm going to uh, digress from some of the previous uh, questions. What is one sales book that you were, you mentioned fanatical prospecting and that is brilliant. Everyone should get onto that. But give us another one. What is one sales book that you would recommend? You know, I can't give you one of anything. I know. A couple that come to mind for me. So, um, how to Become a Rainmaker. Rainmaker is a great book. I really yeah. like that. And one that I did uh, earlier this year is a book called Flip the Script by Oren Klaff. Yeah, and I like Oren. Man, the guy's a pitch, pitch anything was good. Oh. And hearing his stories, I like to do them in Audible because I get a little bit more of the experience, yeah, yeah, I think, right. through it, and I can do it in my commute time. Um, that's a great one. Absolutely. A couple of the team have picked that up. But uh, I try to flip the script. Flip I the I script. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oren Klaff, K-L-A-F-F, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Great. And – so that's for sales. What about for personal growth? What's the, one book that's changed your life or one that's you, you've recommended more? You know, one, because often I think you recommend books to people. I think 90% of them probably stay on the shelf mm. and, and don't get picked up. So one that's really easy to read that I just adore, that was fantastic. It's a, it can be a confronting read, but A Man's Search for Meaning oh. by Viktor Frankl. Without doubt, um, one of the best. It's just, it's really about, you know, because he's the godfather of logotherapy and I, I had a background in psych, so I really always liked um, kind of the tenets of psychology that, that he explored. And I remember there was an example where he's in this concentration camp in horrible conditions, obviously, in World War II and was staring in this uh, the bowl of, of soup, or the, they call it a bowl, but it's basically just a, a, a runny broth that they get. And that day he had a, a floating dead fish head in there. <laughs> And that was, he was able to appreciate that. Like it was the most amazing thing. And his, his wife, I think, had, had been sent to the gas chamber and all sorts of horrific things have happened in front of him, but is finding meaning in those challenging things in life. And I think yeah. at the moment, we're going through a really tough time in history. Um, and so being able to appreciate what we have when we have it and being able to apply meaning in situations that might seem meaningless at times, I think is a, is a very challenging skill, but a very rewarding one. Well, it goes to your living in the moment that you spoke of before. I love that book. I've read it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Is the element that gets me is when, you know, they get transferred from concentration camp to concentration yeah. camp, all with different gas chambers. And the way they knew there were gas chambers is because there was big chimneys, right? Exactly. And I remember him, there was one part of the book where he wrote, 
we rocked up to we arrived at a new concentration camp and noticed that there was no uh chimneys and the bus erupted with cheers yeah. and and you talk about living in the moment right um you know amongst all that adversity right. these people found happiness right and i know it's 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 a bit twisted in in, in what in the story itself but it is yeah for me it was an amazing it's one that gives you some perspective. Yeah, it, it absolutely yeah. does. I think that's where I was going. Yeah, perspective yeah. is key. So we're going to finish up there. I've got some quick fire questions that we throw our way to uh, to everyone. Right. I, I love these questions because it shows me the way your brain works. <laughs> so if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, look, it might be lame, but I, I'd want to fly. Fly. You know, yeah. the freedom that, that that gives. I love travel. Um, I like, I'm a bit of an adventure seeker. Um, so just being able to fly, I think that would just be such a wonderful way to sometimes just gain a new perspective. Yeah. I was talking about before being able to just fly up to 50,000 feet and observe something from a different perspective, I think would be a heck of a lot of fun from a thrill perspective, but also from a, um, I guess being able to zoom out from where you sit as a first person sometimes and look at things from an alternative perspective. Brilliant. Um, too bad. You'd have to wear it if you want to fly out of out of in outer space you need to come up with some ways to breathe yeah there. yeah i want to get one of those cool suits that felix baumgartner guy who used to jump in that red bull thing he was in. if you had one time if you had a time machine and you could go anywhere you had access to a time machine you could go anywhere where would you go i, I think i'd probably go lots of places uh actually, actually i don't know how let's much go let's go one you got what you got you got one key uh, you get a key that can take you. Okay, maybe I'd, I'd go back to Ireland. Back. I'd go back to maybe where my ancestors were a couple hundred years ago to see what they were about, uh, to see kind of, I always like that theory to, to know where you're going. You have to know where you've been and yeah. where you've come from. So I think it'd be interesting to see how how well, folks then, lived in, in I reckon you'd be pretty surprised by some of the stories. I'd be pretty gruesome, <laughs> I would think, back there. So. That's brilliant. Outside of business goals, what's, you know, you say you like to travel. What's one of the items on your What's an item on your bucket list? Um, really, I've got a, a, a principle I try to live with, and that's have a new country under my belt for every year that I live. Um, it's my favorite thing to do with my wife is go traveling to new places. So when hopefully we, we return post-vaccine to a world where we can do a lot of international travel again is is do that. And I, look, I'm a big sports fan like yourself. So mm-hmm. seeing iconic sports events in history. So, you know, your Olympics, your Stanley Cups, your World Cups and different uh, events for, for different sports. I'd like to go to the Super Bowl one day, the grand final in yeah. Australia. They're yeah. all things I'd definitely like to do. On your bucket list. Beautiful. And um, one of my favorite questions of the whole podcast is you're a father, so you're bound to have a dad joke floating around. Can oh, you God. give us a dad joke? They're all so bad. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing how you get – I started doing dad jokes before I was a dad, and then you actually get the privilege to say, oh, I'm a dad, I can do that now. But, oh, here's one. Um, not even necessarily jokes. It's a stupid statement. Two wrongs don't make a right but three rights make a left. <laughs> so yeah. thank you for humoring yeah. me with a dumb laugh. But uh, no, one of our guys here, he's got almost like the daily dad joke. He actually said, hey, Connor, uh, in the new building, because we're looking for a new facility at the moment, with the elevator, can we make sure that it fits a cow? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, man. Why is that? And he goes, so that we can raise the stakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shout out to Ben Gordon. Give that, <laughs> give that guy a pay rise. Absolutely. He's the man. <laughs> brilliant thank you very much uh for your time today connor it's been enlightening i'm sure for all the leaders out there who are listening in and, and all the potential people who are looking interested in, who are interested in growing in in their sales career sure. it would be a, a very enlightening podcast 
where can we find you? How do we get in contact with you? And uh, do actually, I should say, do you want to be contacted as well? Sure. You know, I, and I firstly, Dan, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to have a chat with you, and it's a privilege, and I'm humbled to be uh, welcomed onto the program today. So hopefully, your users got something from it. Um, to follow me is really probably LinkedIn is the easiest, um, or go to our website noago.com.au. Um, there's some some uh, ways to access me through there, um, or my my email address is connor.o'rourke at noago.com.au. Um, and yeah, happy to have a chat about anything I can I can help you or your Excellent. your wonderful viewership with. Beautiful. Thank you very much, mate. It's been an amazing chat. Uh, we'll catch you all next time. Cheers. So much. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.